0: Good morning, everybody good? Hope you're good, you excited? Look excited, got an extra hour of sleep last night, so no, uh, no excuses today, right? So uh, anyway, we're going to talk about prayer tonight, and um, I, I was excited for you to hear a little bit from Miss Beth Page about her prayer life and, and what that means to her, and we're going to jump in here in just a minute in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 17, a lot of scripture, and a lot of teaching, and a lot of information this morning, so I'd encourage you to take notes on this, you can go back and revisit it, because I'm telling you we're going to cover a lot of stuff. Um, before we jump in, though, I do want to take just a second and say how thankful I am for this church, and, and not, the, not the building, not the structure, but the people in this church. Um, uh, just the encouragement that you give us, and the way you love not only me, but my family, and, uh, and just over the last few weeks especially. I just heard from so many people in encouraging ways, and just uh, very thankful for that, and thankful for you, and excited about, about what God's doing here and what He's going to do. I know for so many pastors, that's not the case for them um, where they're at. And so I'm very thankful, very grateful for this church and, and who you are. Um, enough mushy stuff. So let's get into the, the message. Matthew chapter six, uh, we're continuing the How Do I series, and today we're talking about How Do I Pray. Um, how do I pray? Now, I want to go ahead and throw this out there. Prayer is so big and prayer is so vast and there's so much to prayer. There's no way we can possibly cover everything today. But I do want us to look at um, h- one of the ways that Jesus gives us to know how to pray. Um, and then I want us to look at really the heart of Jesus and some of uh, aspects of the will of God and what he wants us to be prayed. Um, my, my prayer in this is that you'll be challenged by it. Maybe some of the ways we've thought about prayer in the past will be challenged, and maybe, um, hopefully, you'll be encouraged to pray more. If if you're here today and you're in this auditorium, the reality of it is that every person in here could improve in their prayer life, right? And, and, And so I don't care how much time you spend in prayer, the people who pray the most are the ones who most quickly typically tell you that they could grow in prayer. And so if you're discouraged in prayer, if you're unsure about how to pray, if you are are, are struggling with that in some way, I just encourage you uh, to go to God and communicate to God and and talk with Him and listen to Him, as Miss Beth said, and enjoy that fellowship with Him. Not seeing it as a burden, but seeing it as a privilege, because it is a privilege that we get to talk to the God of the universe. And so um, we're going to talk a lot about that today and, and God's heart and God's will and how He wants us to pray Um, and and especially one aspect of that. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 5 there, and and we'll talk about the Lord's Prayer as a model of prayer. And so let's look at Matthew 6, 5. We'll read a few of these verses, and then we'll pray. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Well, let's pray, and then we'll talk about prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and pray to you. Thank you, God, that we can come boldly before your throne and experience the reality of who you are. God, I pray that we would be encouraged to come to you more often. I pray that we would be challenged to to pray for your heart and your will to be done on this earth. God, just use the next few minutes to strengthen us in this way. And God, it's so exciting to think about what you're going to do as we become more of a praying church we love you and thank you for the work you're doing and look forward, God, believing that the best is yet to come and what you're going to do in the kingdom and through the kingdom here on earth, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you would say you are a person that when you begin to put something together, you go to the instructions first and you begin to read the instructions? Anybody here that goes to the instructions first? Every both services, I have seen more women's hands go up than men. No joke. All right. How about the rest of you who are like me and you begin to put it together before you read the instructions? How many people are out there like this? That's right. Amen. And Instructions are oftentimes optional. In fact, sometimes I believe, as I began to go back to the instructions, that the instructions were intentionally created to confuse me even more in putting together the thing I'm trying to put together. Um, I remember uh, putting together a rocking horse for my oldest son when he was little, and and uh, it was the most frustrating thing I've ever put together in my life. He had to stretch these springs and hook these springs and, and four of them in these different places, and and. I'm ashamed to say I ended up punching the rocking horse in the face, I did. It was that frustrating because it, it was, I was just at my wits end, I couldn't figure out how to get that done. Putting together a trampoline, very frustrating. Putting together one of the basketball goals that raises and lowers. If you've ever had that experience, very frustrating, even if you try to follow the instructions. Um, so some of these things you don't know about because you haven't had children yet, but one day if you do have children, You'll get to experience the joy of a lot of that stuff. And some things in life, we are given instructions. And one of the good things today that we're going to see is that God doesn't tell us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray without giving us some instruction, without giving us a pattern, without giving us a model. And when we begin to look at the Lord's Prayer that we're going to read in just a minute... And then we're going to go to John 17 and look at Jesus' heart in the prayer that he prays right before the crucifixion. I want you to see a pattern, a model. Uh, But I also don't want you to get so hung up on the pattern or the model that it begins to complicate everything. I want to encourage you today just to begin to talk to God, begin to pray to God. Use this as a model of how to begin. Use this as a model of, of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And then look at the one aspect that we're really going to focus on today. And maybe it challenges you in how you spend a lot of your prayer time. And so when we look at Jesus as he's leading up to teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he really gives us two don'ts before he tells us what to do. The very first one is he says that don't to pray like the hypocrites pray. Don't pray for everybody to see it. Don't go out and try to make yourself look good, basically. Because that type of prayer, it may change people's opinion of you, but when we go to God with a sincere heart, sincerely praying, and sincerely praying for other people and for God's kingdom, one prayer may change people's opinion of us, but that sincere prayer and seeking God begins to change the eternities of people. It begins to change the kingdom of God. It begins to change the earth. And so we begin to see that. One of the prayers gives us this temporary gain. But the other prayer, a sincere prayer, a prayer that is seeking God, praying his word, praying his will, praying for others to come into the kingdom. It's a prayer that causes eternal blessings. When I say blessings, I'm not talking about, you know, just material things. God blesses us in that way. But the greatest blessing that we can often get from God is his power and his presence and his purpose in our lives. And so when we go to God with a sincere heart and sincere prayer, we begin to see. God moving in our lives and moving in our hearts through his power and his, 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 his purposes, his presence in us and in our lives. And so we begin to see that. The second thing that Jesus tells us to do is not just to keep praying these mindless words like the pagans would do. In that day, those, the pagans who, who um, worshipped all kinds of gods, they would oftentimes just say the name of the god over and over again or say something over and over again as though it were a magic potion or something, some, you know, um, thing that was going to twist the arm of their god to do what, he, what you wanted him to do. And he's saying, don't just mindlessly pray these things over and over again, thinking that that somehow that's gonna win you favor with God. He's saying, come to me. He's not telling us don't pray persistently. He's not saying don't continue to pray for the kingdom to come until you see it come. It's not what he's saying. He's saying just don't do it mindlessly over and over again. He wants us to come with a sincere heart, with, with a desire to meet him, with a desire to pray his will, with a desire to pray his word, with a desire to know him more, not doing it just mindlessly. And then verse 9 says, th- these, these are the words of Jesus. He says, then this then is how you should pray. And verse 9 goes on to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as we look at this model prayer, the first thing I want you to see in this is that we need to remember who we're praying to. It's the first thing that Jesus says is he says, Our Father. And so on one hand, we need to look at God as our father and and we need to understand the nature and character of God as a father, that we can come to him, that he wants us to come to him. And no matter how flawed our earthly father may have been or may be, we can understand and know through scripture um, that, that God is a good father that he wants us to come to him, that he wants to be in relationship with him. He wants us to grow in him. And so we can come to him as a father. It also says, hallowed be thy name. In other words, God, he's recognizing, God, you're holy, father, you're holy. And we talk about God's holiness. And we look at him as being something other. He's not like us. He's not like the world. He's, he's different. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's just. He's all of these things. And so on one hand, we see That God, through Jesus, gives us the ability to come boldly before his throne of grace, to come into his presence. But we also recognize I'm coming into the presence of someone holy, someone who is perfect in every way. And it brings a humility to our prayers and to our hearts as we come before God and as we approach his throne. And so I want you to see those two things out of that very first verse He's Father, He's holy, He's perfect in every way. And we have this awesome privilege of being able to come to Him and talk to Him and pray to Him. The next verse, verse 10, says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That next thing that we see as Jesus is given this model prayer is is that we should seek and pray God's will, that we should be seeking God's will to come on the earth that we should seek for God's kingdom to come here on earth and we see the will of God be done. When we see things that don't line up with the will of God, when we see things that don't line up with the kingdom of heaven, we need to pray for those things until we begin to see heaven move in those things. Pray for God's power and his spirit and who he is to begin to change those things. I want you to see in this that We can't separate God's word and prayer. And and we see in this, as he is instructing us to pray for his kingdom to come, we see God's desire to transform the the world, to transform creation for his kingdom literally to begin to come on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that begin on the day of Pentecost when the spirit of God was Given And those first disciples are filled. And we see in Jesus, heaven coming to earth. And we see through the spirit, God beginning to work that out. But it's part of what we should pray for. And then again, we recognize that no matter how much culture changes, no matter how much the world changes, that we go to God praying for his will to be done, praying for the kingdom to come. And, and this is really where I want us to spend the bulk of our time today is looking at how Jesus himself instructs us to pray for God's will to be done, for kingdom to come, but also uh, beginning to see Jesus' heart as he prays this himself. I want you to realize this, that that the the importance of prayer is so huge. On one hand, it transforms us, but on the other hand, it begins to transform the world around us. And and we, we learn God's heart for that. And we learn God's will for that. But we've got to realize too that as we pray, things that would not otherwise happen begin to happen. And I'll be honest and admit this to you, that in a lot of ways for me, that's a mystery. And in a lot of ways for you, I believe it's probably a mystery because we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that he's all of those things. But the Bible also tells us that prayer is powerful and effective at changing us and changing the world. James 5.16 tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we look at ourselves in Christ and we're made righteous. And we're walking in the will of God and we're understanding the will of God and we're praying the will of God. Our prayers become powerful and effective at changing the world around us. And we need to realize that and realize the weight of the prayers that we pray. I want us to look now at John chapter 17. So kind of keep your finger there at Matthew chapter 6. Because we're going to spend a lot of time, most of our time this morning in John 17. And I want to talk about one aspect of prayer that, that is so important. I want to talk about an aspect of prayer that I think is oftentimes overlooked. And I want to think about an aspect of prayer that for many of us is going to challenge the cultural understanding of prayer that we've developed. Because so many times what we've been taught about prayer, it begins to focus a lot on ourselves. And the thing that we're going to see in John chapter 17 is we're going to see where Jesus begins to pray. And he prays a missional prayer, a prayer that is all about the mission of God transforming the earth. And again, I'm not telling you that we shouldn't pray for ourselves. We're going to read in just a minute where Jesus prays for himself. Uh, I'm not telling you not to pray for other people. We see all through scripture where other people are prayed for. I'm just looking at one aspect of prayer that's oftentimes neglected, oftentimes not thought about. And that's this missional prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. When we were looking at this text and we were studying it together as the preaching pastors, myself and the, the campus pastors at, at the other campus who are preaching, and then we, we began to look and someone brought up the question that I thought was really good and it's a really good question for us to wrestle with. And that question is this, if every one of your prayers were answered, how much would that impact the kingdom of God? If every one of your prayers would answer how much would the kingdom of God advance? If every one of your prayers were answered, how many people would come into the kingdom? And I think that's something incredible to think about because so many times our prayers aren't focused on the kingdom coming. It's not focused on necessarily God's will being done. Uh, and so we need to look at this and see this. If you look at John 17 in verse 1, the first thing I want you to see about this, about the kingdom coming, about the Father's will being done on earth... Is this it says after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. He's Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And the very first thing we see is that even when Jesus is praying for himself, he says, Glorify your son. He's saying, and Jesus is worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy, worthy of the glory of God, he's worthy of all those things. But we see also that he's saying, God, that you may be glorified. And so in in the very first thing I see is we're praying this prayer of God's will being done in the kingdom coming. Is that Jesus didn't pray a selfish prayer. But he prayed a very God-centered prayer. A prayer that was all about the Father being glorified. And, and, and the kingdom growing as God's glory. And I'm going to talk about his glory a lot. Listen, when you hear glory, think about his character and nature being revealed, who he is being seen. And so he's praying for the glory of God to be seen as God is glorified. And so we see that it's not self-centered. It's very God-centered. We see in this prayer that, that, that Jesus goes on and he talks about ways that he glorifies God. And we should look at this and begin to understand this. And this is something that is unchanging. This, this is revealing the nature of an eternal God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. The other day, um, I was walking into the auditorium, and it was like on a Thursday. I did been in my office all morning, so I just decided I'd take a walk around the building just to get out of the office for a second. I come walking in those doors back there, and, and there's a couple of guys uh, on our staff that are sitting at the, the booth back there, and they were working on some pro-presenter stuff or something that they were doing, getting ready for Sunday. And so as I walk in, one of the guys looks over there at me, and he's like, flannel shirt, eh? Yeah, he goes tucked in too. It's like, yep, yep. He goes, bet you got on boots, don't you? It's like, yep. He goes, I like it, man. Even though culture changes, you don't change. I like that. (laughs) And and I admit, like, I have no fashion sense. I never really have, but especially as I've gotten older, have zero. And, And as cultures change. I haven't changed. I'm the same as I was. God is so much even greater than that. He never changes. Culture changes. The world changes. God's the same. And we can come to him knowing that and recognizing that. And so Jesus is revealing this God, the glory of this God, the character and nature that is so, so consistent and so perfect. And the very first thing he says in verse 2 is he says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. One of the ways he glorified God is he used what God had given him to bring him glory. He used what God had given him for kingdom purposes. And one of the things that we really need to pray about as we're praying for God's kingdom to come is, God, how do you want me to use the resources you've given me, the abilities you've given me? How do you want me to to use the things you've given me to bring you glory, to advance your kingdom? It's one of the things that Jesus did was he, he prayed and he knew the will of God. And as we're in prayer, and the word of God. We begin to learn the will of God and we begin to understand how God wants us to use the things he's entrusted us with to advance his kingdom. Verse three says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The next thing Jesus did was he revealed the father to the world and that should be our heart too that God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. We're now in a relationship with God. And our heart is to reveal him to the world. He says eternal life is this. It's knowing God. And so we think about eternal life as living forever, but it's not just living forever. Everyone will live forever. But some will live in fellowship with God and some will live apart from God. People often say, how could a good God send people to hell? Listen, people who go to hell are the people who never wanted fellowship with God to begin with. So God is really just giving them what they wanted. But but for those who believe... We come to a place of relationship with God. We come to fellowship with God. And we experience eternal life as we know God. And he says, this is how we live eternally, is in this relationship, revealing the Father to the world. In verse 4, he says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I want you to see in this, that Jesus didn't stop short of fulfilling the purpose that God gave him. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus experienced the resurrection. He experienced separation from God so we wouldn't have to. He did all of those things, finishing the work that God gave him to do. Jesus couldn't get around the cross. He, he knew that. He, he went uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, God, if there's another way, if there's another opportunity, if there's a plan B that doesn't include the cross, let's do that. But he knew at the end of the day, he wanted God's will to be done. Jesus couldn't get around the cross. He didn't avoid his purpose. And you and I have to realize that we, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we can't get around the cross either. The Bible tells us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so we have to go to the cross as well. We have to die to ourselves so that we can live for God, so that we can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and We can do the things that God created us to do. Verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, Jesus, he didn't sacrifice eternal glory for temporary gain. And we see this, that Jesus is saying, Glorify me now in the glory that I had with you before the world began. And he's saying, I know I left glory come to earth and to fulfill this purpose but he also knew that after I fulfilled this purpose after I've gone to the cross after I've experienced this separation after I've been resurrected there's going to be a greater glory not not only for me but for the father as people begin to see the heart of God through the gospel through Jesus coming to earth through what Jesus did for us He said there's going to be a greater glory that's manifested, a greater glory, a greater understanding of God's character and his nature as Jesus perfectly displays who the Father is to us through his life. And so he knew that there would be an even greater glory and he wasn't going to sacrifice that eternal glory for temporary gain. You think about when Jesus went into the desert and and Satan tempted him. He could have taken that temporary glory. He could have done it a different way, but he knew that that's leaving us out. The only way we could be reconciled back to God was if he went to the cross. The only way the Father and even Jesus would gain the glory that they so deserve is by him going to the cross and by him reconciling creation back to the Father. And so we see that. We see that Jesus' prayer wasn't a selfish, self-centered prayer. It was a prayer about bringing God glory. And we pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for God's will to be done. That should be part of our prayer as well. In verse 6, it says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word." Jesus' prayer also included this. It included a desire for a greater revelation of who God is to come to the world. And so he's praying this, that that God would be seen even clearly. He's saying, I have revealed you to these people, and and I want you to continue to be revealed. And Jesus' dependent lifestyle on the Father to give him everything he needed, to give him the power to do the things that he did, to give him the strength to fulfill his purpose, he modeled this act of dependence on God. And through it, we begin to understand more about who he is, the Father, and we begin to be able to model the same thing that Jesus gave us to do. And so we see that God's power, his wisdom, his strength is tapped into, as Beth said, through prayer. It's tapped in through the Word, and it was modeled by Jesus how we live this dependent lifestyle. See, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, but that happens when we're in a dependent lifestyle with God. And so it was a prayer for a greater revelation, a greater dependence on us for the Father. Verses uh, 7 says this, verse 7 says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And through Jesus praying this, we see God's heart for the world. He says, I'm not praying for for the world, but I'm praying for these disciples. I'm praying for these people who've accepted your word. He says these people who've obeyed my word. They weren't perfect in their obedience. Where they were, where the, what he was saying is, look, they believed the word that I've given them. They believed the gospel. They believed who I am, and they believe who you are. And so he wants them to see. He, he's praying for God to help people see this even more. John three sixteen is true, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But we see that God loves the world, but the ones who belong to him are those who believe. It's what John 1, 12 and 13 tells us is that those who believe are given the right to become children of God. And what we need to understand as Jesus is praying for this greater revelation of God in the gospel is that that when we become children of God, that's why we exist, is to bring him glory so that his character and nature is better seen in the world. But so many times we go through life and that's not even on the, the radar screen. Uh, the fact that I, I've, I've come to knowledge of Christ, I've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, my life is, is, is changed forever. I know the Father. But so many times when we go to God in prayer or we're just living our lives, we don't think about the fact that my eternal purpose is to bring Him glory. To let other people see his character and nature through me. Now that is hard for us to, to grasp sometimes. And it's hard for us to do if we're not doing it through a dependent lifestyle on Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. Verse 11 and 12 say this. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. The next thing we see that Jesus is praying for is he's praying for the kingdom to come. He's praying for unity in the church. He's praying that we would be one. And it's interesting that Jesus is basically saying this is such a powerful aspect of the church. It's so important for the church, and yet it seems like the church is attacked more in the unity that we have together than it is anywhere else. Even in, in, in individual churches, the little seed churches, we see crazy things. We see churches that almost or do split over things like pianos. We see churches that, that come close to splitting or split because of the color that we're going to put on the carpet or the walls. And we fight over these little things. We see how we're all split up in different churches and typically we're not split over major things. We're not split over the major doctrines. It's not the virgin birth. It's not the cross. It's not the resurrection. It's not the atonement. It's not redemption. It's not us being reconciled. Where we're split is over these finer lines of theology and it it, it destroys in many ways the unity that God wants us to have. We spend so much time competing against each other as churches that we throw unity out the window. And it makes me ask and it makes me question how much is the spirit really moving in our hearts when this is the most important thing to Jesus? And yet we spend all of our time fighting and squabbling because so and so went there or so and so went there or so and so came here. Who cares as long as they're in the kingdom and the kingdom's advancing? What's the difference? What's it matter? Listen, we've had years that we've grown. We've had years that more people came. Praise God for that. We've also had years that we didn't grow, that that we maybe even had less people than we did the year before. But the the, 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 the most important aspect of that is, is God being glorified? Are people coming into the kingdom? Are we unified? Are we working towards one goal? Whose agenda are we trying to fulfill? Is it my agenda or God's agenda? Because we need to lose our own agenda so that God can do what he wants to do through us. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about my vision, it's not about my church, it's about God's church, it's about God's vision, it's about who he is, it's about his will, it's about his plan and not about us. And we need to realize that, we need to get over that, we need to embrace that and we need to move on as a unified church, big C church that God's called us to be. That's what God wants, that's his heart, that's what he shows us, that's what he teaches us, our heart should be the same as that of Jesus. I want you to see and I want you to understand this, that unity is a result of the Spirit working in us. Listen, I know this, like I know I'm standing up here today, is that 10 out of 10 people are selfish. I've been saying it for over a decade. 10 out of 10 people are selfish. We are. And I've had one person in 14 years that tried to argue me on that. She eventually came up to me at the ball field and goes, you're right, I'm selfish. I was like, I know, because we all are. And and we have to come to a place where we die to ourselves and allow the Spirit to work in us to develop this unity. We need to realize that we're united around the Spirit's revelation of the Father and the Son that we're empowered by that revelation as the Spirit works in our hearts. We need to be united around the mission of God to make God known through the preaching and the proclamation and the living out of the gospel. We need to be a church and a people that is united around the love of God that we've all experienced if we're in Christ because there's no way you come to the knowledge of Jesus without seeing the love that he has For us and for the world and for the people that God is calling to himself and trying to get their attention with his love. The Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God, his kindness that leads men to repentance. In other words, it's not just telling people turn or burn. It's the realization that a good, loving father sent his son to die for us, to take our sin, to take his wrath, to give us life through the power of the resurrection so that we can come to him. That's the gospel. And it may may be something that makes our religious mind go crazy, but the reality is there's a good, loving God who wants a relationship with us. And we can be unified around that message. We can be unified around the love of God, the Spirit's revelation and power and the mission that God's given us. Listen to verses 20 through 23. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me. Through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may there also be may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the listen, then then the world will know. That you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. He basically tells us this. That our unity, our oneness, our moving in the same direction, our proclamation of the gospel, our living of the gospel, all of these things that we do united together, moving with God, is the greatest evidence of the reality of God that anyone will ever see. And when you think about the fact that 10 out of 10 of us are selfish, when you think about the fact of all the squabbling we do in the church over stupid things, it is a great testimony to God when the church can be unified and can be moving in one direction together, doing the work and the will of God. It's an incredible testimony to Him. And Jesus pretty much tells us it's the greatest evangelistic tool that we can possibly have, is when people see us united around the gospel, around His love, around the mission, bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the most effective thing that people can see is selfish people who've gotten over themselves, who've died to themselves and are living their life for others. Verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Basically, Jesus is telling us, he's, he's praying a prayer for the believers. He's praying a prayer for those disciples who were with him. Basically, what he's saying is this, Father, I'm not going to be here anymore. They're about to become our representatives. He's praying for them. He prays first for their joy. He says, give them joy because he knows the world hates them. He knows that the world's gonna come against them. He knows that it's not gonna be easy. See, we think that the Christian life is supposed to be all rosy and perfect. God's life is hard. It's not easy to glorify God in a hard world. But the reality is that the one who lives in you, if you are in Christ, is greater than the one who lives in the world. And he can do in you and through you what you can't do on your own. But it comes as we pray and we're in God's word and we tap into the strength of the Spirit. And the Spirit is working in us and transforming us. And Jesus makes this so clear. He didn't want our joy to be up and down with the mission. Listen, when, when I first got into ministry, my joy was so determined by the ministry And ministry is up and down. I remember when we first started the church, we finally broke like 100 people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we have done something. God is doing something. And we got to like 135 people that one Sunday. And I was like, praise God, this is the greatest job that you could ever have in America. There's no doubt that this is the greatest job. The next week, we had 55. I was like, what did I say? I was like, did I cuss during the sermon and not realize it? I didn't know what I did. And I was taught bad about puppies. I didn't know what happened. And so the next week, I was just all down. And, you know, I would let my emotions rise and fall with how good I thought I had done that day in the message. And, And it was up and down all over the place. But Jesus doesn't want our emotions to rise and fall on this world and even ministry, even good things He wants our joy to be consistent because our joy is not in things of this world or even the church. Our joy is in our relationship with Jesus. He tells us that in Luke chapter 10. He he, he sent out the 72 disciples. They go out and they're casting out demons. They're doing all kinds of crazy things in the name of Jesus. They come back and they're like, Jesus, you won't believe this. Even the demons obey us. And Jesus tells them, he says, don't rejoice that the demons obey you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get so tied up in the ministry that your joy rises and falls on that. Don't get so tied up in your work that your joy rises and falls on that. Don't get so tied up with your school that your joy rises and falls. Try hard, but don't get so tied up in it that your joy rises and falls in that. Don't get so tied up in a guy that your joy rises and falls with that. Don't get so tied up with a girl that your joy rises and falls with that. Jesus is saying the only place you're going to find consistent joy, consistent peace, consistent love, consistent patience. Consistent kindness, consistent fruit of the Spirit is you're going to find it in your relationship with me. That's what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to embrace. He wants us to live out. He wants us to understand that. It's to find it in him. To find it in joy in our relationship with Christ. Verse 15, he tells us, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. When we look at that section of scripture, basically Jesus is praying this. He's saying don't let Satan come and rob the revelation that you've given them. Don't let Satan come and take this protection I've given them in my name. Through, through my name, I have revealed to them who you are. And, and it's nothing wrong with praying for physical protection. I think that may be part of what he's praying for here. But the reality of it is, after Jesus ascended, many of those disciples were martyred. 10 of the 11 disciples that he's specifically praying for died in martyrs' deaths. So I don't think that he's just praying. For physical protection. I think it's fine. Listen, I'm talking about one aspect of prayer. I'm not telling you it's not okay to pray for that. We pray for that all the time. But the reality of it is there's a greater protection that we need. And it's protection from the evil one coming in and robbing us of what Jesus has shown us of the Father. Uh, the evil one coming in, as John 10:10 10, 10 says, to kill, steal, and destroy our understanding of who God is, to begin to move us away from Him. And so Jesus doesn't want us to lose that revelation. Jesus wants us to live in that revelation. Because the power and strength for life comes through the revelation of the Father and the Son given through the Spirit. And Jesus tells us that the thief, yes, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he also says, but I came to give you life and give it abundantly. When we're in prayer and we're in the Word, we find the strength that we need to live in this life and to do what God's called us to do. He says, listen, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to sustain them in this world. I'm asking you to use them in a mighty way. I'm asking you, God, to sanctify them. In other words, he's saying, I want you to set them apart for your purposes. I want them to exist to bring you glory. I want you to sanctify them the same way I sanctified myself, the same way Jesus set himself apart for the purposes of God. And we become gods. That's why we exist. We have a different purpose. We have a different reason for existence. I want you to understand that truth as Jesus says to sanctify them in the truth, truth is not a theory. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not, not relative to what we want to believe. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And when we come to the truth, he begins to set our lives apart, set us apart for his purposes, for his kingdom, and for his work. That's what God desires to do in our lives. And Jesus models it for us. He goes to the cross. He says, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. Because through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, he sent back the spirit of God to live in us, to transform us, to set us apart, to give us a new heart, to renew our minds so that we can understand the will of God. And he wants to do that in us and through us, to to truly sanctify us and give us an eternal purpose that's bigger than so many of the things we live for. It's eternal, it's not temporary. And so he's praying for that. The the next section, the last section, we're gonna wrap up real quick. It says, in verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The last thing that Jesus prays for that is so amazing, that is so incredible, is that he prays for fellowship with us. When you get to chapter 20 that we read earlier, you read from 20 to 26, this is Jesus praying for all the people who would believe Who would come to faith? That means he's praying for everybody in this room who has faith in Christ, who's given their lives to Jesus, who've come to him in faith. And in verse 24, he offers this invitation. He says, I want them to be where I am going to be, I want them to be with me, I want them to see my true glory. I want them to understand the full nature and character of who I am and for them to spend eternity with me. It's an invitation to spend eternal life with Jesus. In verse 25, he talks about how the world doesn't know you, but I know you and they know that you've sent me. In other words, they've come to faith and in belief to trust in who I am and in who sent me. They have had a revelation that he is... The Son. They had a revelation that he is the father. They, they've come to understand more about who God is. And really that's a prayer for salvation. That people would come to the knowledge of God. And so we see an invitation to eternal life. We see salvation. And then he goes on and prays that God would continue to make himself known. And there's this invitation. Not only to salvation. Because salvation is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And so we come to this place where we see that God not only wants to initiate a relationship, but he wants to continue a relationship. He wants us to continue to grow in the likeness of Christ. He wants us to continue to see people connected to God, yes, but he also wants to see us growing in that relationship with him. And so he says that he would continue to make himself Known and all of it is about a fellowship with God. If we could just see how much that is the heart of God, that He wants to be in a relationship with us and He wants to walk with us, then maybe prayer wouldn't be such a burden, but we could see it as the privilege that it is, that we could see it as an invitation. To experience the reality of the God of the universe, who even though he created everything we see and everything we can't see, he still is mindful of us. His heart is still for us. He didn't want to do eternity without us. And so we can understand that from the life of Jesus, from the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the reality of his life, death, and resurrection is the greatest manifestation of the glory, the nature and character of God that we'll ever see. And so we spend a ton of time on that one scripture, that his will be done, that the kingdom would come, that the will be done. And we we, we see this. I want to jump back to Matthew 6 real quick. We got about two or three minutes left, and, and this is where we're going to spend it, because in in both of the first scriptures, verses 9 and 10, we, we see very clearly that we need to remember who we're praying to. We seek and pray God's will. That's where John 17 comes in. We see Jesus praying a missional prayer, prayer that others would be brought to unity in his name, a prayer that others would see the gospel and the revelation of God. And then you get to verse 11. It says, give us today our daily bread. And it's one little sentence, but it's got so much in it because he's saying this. He's saying I'm going to cast my cares on you. He said, I need this. It's something that I see that I need. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 7 to cast all our cares or all our anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. And so we know God wants us to do that. But also in this one little sentence is a statement of trust. It's saying, God, I need this. Man, I trust your provision for this. So many times we live in anxiety, and I'm as bad about this as anybody. We live in anxiety, and we live in worry, and we live in fear. But the thing we try to do is figure it out on our own rather than going and taking it to God, rather than trusting in His provision and what He's going to do. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He also wants us to come in repentance, letting God search our hearts and show us where we're out of the will of God. And one of the ways we can get out of God's will is when we won't forgive others. He tells us in verses 14 and 15 that if we want to be forgiven, we need to forgive other people also. And it sets us free from the burden of what others have done to us. It doesn't doesn't make what they did right, but it sets us free from carrying that in our own lives. And so we see that God wants us, one, to turn from our own sin and turn to him. But also to offer that same grace that he offers us to other people. Colossians 3.13 tells us, forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. Then it goes on in verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I have been especially sloppy today. Sweating. I sweated so much in the first service that the, the highlighter on my paper smeared. And, and I hope that, that somehow there's something that you're getting from this and understanding. And God says, we need to pray that we don't get led into temptation, but that he delivers us from the evil one. And we need to pray, God, give us your wisdom. Give us your direction. Give us your strength. Because we repent and we forgive to bring us back into God's will. But when we pray and we ask for God to deliver us and we ask for wisdom and direction and strength, it helps us to stand firm in god's will. and so we see that that is an important aspect also. but sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. sometimes the truth is we pray and we 're in God's word, it becomes uncomfortable. But I would tell you that we need to, to, to stretch ourselves, we need to be stretched in that way. We need to be reshaped and brought into God's will and remain in God's will that way. It's a part of being in prayer and the word. When, when I had my birthday last month, and I, I appreciate all y'all noticing that I had a birthday, um, it, I, I, somebody gave me these jeans that I have on. A family member gave me these jeans. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but they gave me these jeans, and the first time I put them on, I, I, I went to button them, and I've expanded a little bit as I've been in my 40s. And normally when I button my pants, I'm like, and, and I get them buttoned and then you go, right? And so I put these pants on and I was like, and these things are kind of stretchy. And I was like, I kind of like that. And I realized I have no fashion sense and I realized I've reached an age for stretchy pants. <laughs> and I kind of like them as they go through the washing cycle, which if you're like me, you can wear a pair of blue jeans all week or until they stand up on their own. And so as I put them on, I was like, this feels good. But when I put my other jeans on, it tells me the truth because I can wear these and think I'm doing pretty good. I got this thing down. I must be losing weight. And it's not me, it's the pants. But then when I go back to the other pants, I realize the truth is that I'm getting to be a fat boy. And, And so I put them on. I don't feel as good about myself. And that's a really bad example and a really bad illustration of how sometimes the truth doesn't feel good. But we need to embrace the truth. We need to embrace the truth of God's word. And we need to come back into the will of God. That's what God wants for us. And the first aspect of his will that he wants for us is for us to be reconciled to him through the revelation of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to close this service. And the thing I want to ask you first and foremost, if if you don't know this perfect father and you don't have that relationship with this holy God, then the opportunity is here for you this morning to say, I want to know Christ. I I want to know God. I want to be in a relationship with him. And if you're here today, and maybe you've been around church for this, I'm not talking about doing religious stuff. I'm talking about knowing the God of the universe. But you don't have a relationship with God. But today you say God has spoken into my heart. He's drawn me to himself. I want to know him. Then today, this is what I'm giving you opportunity for, is to raise your hand and begin a new life in Christ. Listen, it's not the end, it's the beginning of a new journey with God. We want to help you. We want to help you. Will you stick your hand up high so we we can, we want to pray with you, whoever that was that raised their hand right here. We want to pray with you and listen, it's about We want to help take those next steps because it's not the end, it's the beginning. Listen, for the rest of us, we're going to pray right now. And what I want you to do is I want you to get in your mind the two, three, four people in your life that don't have a relationship with God. You know they haven't had that revelation of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I've seen so many people and and watched as other people have prayed for others who don't know the Lord and for God to bring them into a relationship with Himself. I want you to get those people in your mind. And I want you, as I'm praying, I want you to pray for them. And we're going to pray that God would begin to do in them and to reveal to them the reality of who He is, His glory, His character, and His nature. So let's pray together. I want you to pray for them. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much for the the simplicity of prayer. God, burden our hearts for what burdens yours and give us the, 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 the wisdom and the knowledge to come to you in prayer. God, I pray for those who don't know you in this community, in this world. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would work in them. God, that you would reveal the Father through the Son to them. God, as we lift them up to you, you know them. Tear down walls that separate them from you. Remove sin from their lives that keeps them from coming to you. Help them to see that there's nothing better than a relationship with you. God, let them find their joy in you. God, just draw them close. Open their spiritual eyes. Give them the gift of faith to believe and to trust. Draw them into the body of Christ. Whether it's here or somewhere else, draw them into your body as you reveal yourself to them and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we thank you that we can come to you, God, to think right now that the God of the universe hears our prayers is unbelievable. Yet it's so true, God, we thank you for that as we come boldly before your throne of grace and ask that you move in these people's hearts. We love you, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Let us. Grow in your word and grow in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Let's pray kingdom prayers.